This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, everyone. I'm Lale Arakoglu. This is my co-host. Hi, I'm Meredith Carey. And this is the Women Who Travel Live podcast in Austin. Thank you so much for joining us today. This week, as a native Texan, I am so excited, I'm like freaking out, that we are joined by Liz Lambert. For nearly a quarter of a century, Liz has been defining Austin's hotel culture. Over the years, her effortless style has become a gold standard on how to make a hotel uniquely of a place. And it's why she made it onto our most powerful women in travel list last week. Whether you are going to the Hotel San Jose in in Austin, literally down the road, um, or El Cosmico in Marfa, or Hotel San Cristobal in Baja California Sur, there are enough incredibly groovy spaces for you to travel to for years. It's safe to say that you are one of the coolest women in Austin, and so we are really excited to berate you with questions. (laughs) What a lovely introduction. (laughs) Is it really a quarter century? Almost. Almost. We're not there yet. Okay, I can aspire to that, I suppose. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I wanted to start out by talking a little bit about your career path, because you didn't start out in the hospitality industry. I'd love to hear a little bit about your life before you became Liz Lambert, hotel extraordinaire. Well, um, you know, I used to be a lawyer, which was not nearly as exciting. I mean, I suppose on some days it was, but not... And it was sort of an accidental path into hospitality. But um, my undergraduate degree was in creative writing, poetry, which didn't get me very far like at all. natural move turns to lawyer out, turns from out creative it, writer. Yeah. I mean, it turns out you don't do a lot with that. <laughs> but, um, uh, I, and I went to law school after that at, here in Austin at the University of Texas. And then I went to the DA's office in Manhattan and practiced there for a while. Ended up back here a few years later and went to the attorney general's office here. And then while I was at the AG's office, I spotted this little rundown hotel on South Congress, which was an area of town at the time nobody really wanted to go to at all. I mean, people were afraid to come to South Congress at night. For those of you guys who don't know Austin, it is now a very popular part of Austin. Um, You can't find a parking spot. Then you couldn't find a car on the street. So there was a little rundown place called the San Jose Motel, and one thing led to another, and I got my mother to co-sign a note, and I bought this little motel. And uh, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, who knew, uh, nobody was more surprised than me. So were you still working as a lawyer when you bought yes. this motel? Yes, 
And I thought I could keep working as a lawyer while I redid it room by room, but... How was that? And not so easy. <laughs> Best laid plans. I mean, thank God that sometimes you don't know what you don't know, because I probably would have been too afraid to do it at the time. I'm curious, before you bought the Hotel San Jose, what is now the Hotel San Jose, um, if you had traveled a lot and kind of what had inspired you to buy a hotel in the first place? I had traveled a lot. Uh, and when I went to the Attorney General's office, I ended up traveling a lot all over Texas several times a week. And uh, that wasn't necessarily the best way to travel. You were in a lot of Motel 6s and a lot of, not nothing against Motel 6, but you know, Motel 6 in Laredo for three weeks is not exactly what you want to do uh, for vacation. But I'd always loved hotels. I'm from West Texas. And uh, in my hometown of beautiful Odessa, my family is still in the ranching business, and my granddad was a rancher, and so he didn't have an office in town. So he would office at the local hotel, which was an in independent hotel called the Lincoln. And it was one of those old hotels where, you know, there's a barber shop in the lobby. You can get your shoes shined, you, or men could, I suppose. And, you know, you read the newspaper, and it was just, you know, a, a sort of central hub of activity where people would meet up, locals too. And so I think that definitely had an effect on me for my love of hotels. I mean, who doesn't love hotels? Who doesn't love room service? <laughs> but I, I, I think I found that uh, I would go with him when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and he would read the newspaper and have meetings and smoke cigars, and I think that was an early... It, it left a really early impression on me about what a hotel was, really. And so what was that turning point that pushed you to buy it? You saw this old rundown motel. What was that spark that you thought, all right, I have to do it now? <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of things. First, I, I think I was ready for a career change. I never saw, thought this far in advance or I never, it wasn't like, oh, I want to have a hotel company at all. I thought it was going to, this one project, I thought I could redo it room by room. It was $500,000, and my mom co-signed a note on it, on the, on the San Jose. And so it wasn't this hugely risky proposition at the time. It was enough that it scared me, but it wasn't like, you know, a lot of people write me and, or email me and, and say they're going to change their careers and they're going to go into the hotel business. And, and inevitably, it's a big thing that they're putting all on the line and, and they don't necessarily know what they're doing yet. I think I was really blessed to have a project that was small enough and nobody expected it to succeed. I mean, truly, nobody thought I could get over $75 a night. It was a great learning experience. It was a good laboratory for me. Um, if, if, I, if I fell flat on my face, it wasn't going to be the end of the world. Somebody else would probably buy it from me. So what was the turning point? Um, I thought that I could keep practicing law and get somebody to manage the hotel. When I, when I got the hotel, it turns out, I thought it was kind of empty all the time. Turns out, it was just that nobody came out during the day. <laughs> and nobody no. had a car, and nobody had luggage. <laughs> and it was 30 bucks a night, and so there was a whole cast of characters. And it was full a lot. There were 24 rooms when I first got it. And um, I ended up, stopping my law job and uh, at some point when I, I think I tried to, I think I, I made a few loan applications and the bank basically laughed at me because I had zero business 
um, experience. I couldn't read a financial report. I didn't know that banks really wanted you to have some experience before they were going to take a risk <laughs> on you. I ended up stopping the law job and um, working the front desk at the hotel in order to commit myself fully to trying to find money to renovate it. And so that took about two or three years. When you were working on the Hotel San Jose and it was starting to take off, and even when you moved into your second hotel, did you ever find that it was hard for people maybe outside of banks to take you seriously in what you were doing? <laughs> yes, I suppose. I mean, I don't know, take me seriously. I just don't think I was, it was... Yeah, I guess if you think... I, I didn't have these great ambitions at the time. I thought I was going to do this one-off hotel that would be a thing that I you know, did forever. And maybe I would move on and do some other things, but I didn't know I was going to start a hotel company. And so I don't know if I took myself that seriously. I mean, I took myself very seriously that I was tenacious. I was super detail-oriented. I was going to make this place the best place I could. But I didn't have these um, greater ambitions into the bigger world of business. You know, now I do sit at the table inevitably with mostly men, and, um, and we do a lot of hotel development. We look at a lot of deals. I travel a lot. You know, we're part of standard hotels now. And so I think it's funny. I, I think people take me seriously now. But I do think uh, I'm also seen as a creative. And sometimes it's funny how uh, the C-suite looks at creatives. I mean, I think they know that you are serious, but it's a different skill set. But I, I, I think I have both skill sets. And so speaking of creativity, I feel like you step into one of your hotels and it feels like this sort of cocktail of every... If, you know, if you got to design your own hotel, like, that is what you would want to design. And walking past, like, the Austin Motel, like, last night, I was like, this is a party I want to join. How? I love the Austin Motel. It's so good. I mean, it, you can't create that. You had to have the history of it. And so, you know, how did you figure out what makes a great hotel? How did you kind of come up with your formula? Um, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily formulaic. I mean, first of all, I surrounded myself with a lot of really talented people at Bunkhouse. I have, I mean, it is really a team effort. It takes a village. I couldn't stress that more. But um, I think that what our formula is, is that we look at a place and we listen to the place and we... Uh, immerse ourselves in the community where we put a hotel. Um, Landry's here, our head of marketing and, and communications, and Landry will take a deep dive in doing a market study. And we go into communities, and we don't just look at the star report and you know occupancy and rate and um, that kind of thing. We actually go and talk to people in the community and say, what would you want in a hotel if, we're to, if we develop the hotel here in the neighborhood? You know, we talk to as many in as varied stakeholders as we possibly can. Um, we look at the way uh, the place has been built, if it's a historical place, like, and we take a deep dive on you know, what's happening in the community, what's happened historically, and try to reflect that community, try to make a place really of the place. You know, we even did, did the uh, San Cristobal in Baja. We ended up uh, either fabricating or producing, I think, every stick of furniture that's in the place, but also all the textiles, your bedspreads and the pillows and you know everything you can think of, we pretty much made. And I think 
it's intuitive to us at Bunkhouse to do it that way. Out of interest, do you keep like scrapbooks when you're traveling? How do you like <laughs> keep track of all these things that you research and see and absorb? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, I'm curious, uh, and this is going to be a question that's like asking someone in this room, like, what's your favorite place you've ever been? But do you have like a favorite detail among your hotels that you feel like people miss sometimes? Um, I don't think so. I'm trying, <laughs> I have to think about that. But, you know, maybe one thing that people don't see immediately, the, the, another answer to that question about, um, you know, what is our formula is that once you have developed a story around a place, you've looked at it historically, but also decided basically what it is you're trying to create. I, and, I, and I do it by creating a story, and I'll tell you a little bit about that, but it gives you the answer to everything. It gives you the answer to what should this silverware be or what should the china be. Or So one of the details to each of our places is that most of them have a color, whether you notice it or not. We know that uh, St. Cecilia is blue or that um, there's a particular color of yellow that is El Cosmico. Um, it doesn't always appear that way, but it's the base color of a place. In the same way that every place has a smell, um, we have a music soundtrack thanks to a group called Orchid Music Design. Liam Flask, who's, a, a, who's awesome, I've worked with for years, and when we create a hotel, I talk to her about the soundtrack of that hotel. Like uh, in San Antonio, the Havana may be world music, Mexican opera, and, you know, a few other things that inspire it, or Sounds of San Antonio, or, you know, the Austin Motel is around uh, pool music, Austin music, but of a certain time. So it's the same with every property. So a smell and a color and a soundtrack were really, it's fairly subtle, but I think, like at the St. Cecilia, we have uh, big sticks of Nag Champa in the gardens, and I think you, it hits your senses, but you don't necessarily notice it. You can't call it out. And uh, so we were talking to a tour operator a few weeks ago who said that she could tell when a hotel had been designed and launched by a woman. Uh, do you agree? And how do you think women design and operate hotels differently? Do you think that when there, there's a woman behind it, there is a different set of priorities? Because her example was when she goes into the bathroom at a hotel, she knows like if the mirror is like so far away and you like no woman would ever do her makeup in this bathroom that like it was clearly not designed by someone who thinks about doing their makeup every morning. Well, like, see, see, I might miss that. Yeah. <laughs> but my, my wife is a makeup artist, yeah. so you know. But I do, we do get complaints all the time. At the San Jose originally we just had two... Um, bare light bulbs on each side of the mirror and we got a lot of complaints about women trying to put on their makeup. Yeah. This is probably proving me wrong that every time I sort of go into a like, sort of oddly designed bathroom, I just go, oh, there was a man behind this. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been me. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's hard to separate. You know, for, first of all, to your question, there, it, it's, there are less women that design hotels than you think. I mean, or I don't know if you guys really think about it, but it, it's, well, a lot of times you have a hotel company and then you have somebody, uh, you have a, uh, an interiors firm who um, designs a hotel. For instance, Pam Shamshiri with Ace Hotels, she does a lot of 
their work, and you know Roman Williams does, and there are a lot of firms that are led by women that do uh, hotel work design. But there are places where hotel design meets uh, the, the functional design that uh, has to be done by the hotel management company. So I'm not dodging your question. Um, I think only for me, I'm extremely detail-oriented. So I think through all of those things. Is that a particularly feminine trait? I'm not sure. Um, it is funny. You walk into our office at Bunkhouse and it looks like a sorority house. I mean, it's like, it's, I, we need to do more diversity hiring, I think, because it's like we have maybe two men, three men among how many? 35 women up there. And so I think it is probably just naturally something that women do when you come to hospitality. I mean, a lot of times it's just intuitive for them to think about what will make somebody comfortable, what will make their stay um, most comfortable, and to think about all those details. Hey, it's Chris Klemek here. If you like this show, you might enjoy There's More to That. It's a new podcast from Smithsonian Magazine and PRX where I'll be talking to journalists around the globe, taking inspiration from the Smithsonian Institution's museums and research centers and using insightful reporting to explore the mysteries of the wider world. Plus, every episode comes with at least one conveniently packaged fact for you to share at your next dinner party. So check us out. Subscribe to There's More to That from Smithsonian Magazine and PRX and find out how much more there is to almost everything. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots, which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tires, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Um, you and your wife just had a little baby. We did. Lyndon. And I'm curious, being a new mom, has it changed how you've approached travel? Because I know that you've traveled <laughs> yeah. with him so far. Um, <laughs> or, you know, anything about how you've kind of looked at the hotels that might be coming up and the way they could hmm. help families out? He's just, so you guys know, his name is Lyndon and he's five months and like maybe one week old. So we're in the middle of sleep training right now. <laughs> he's adorable. Highly recommend looking at Liz's Instagram feed. <laughs> he's really, he's, but he's sleeping really well. He just started <laughs> last night, 7 to 7.08 this morning. 
Yeah, just for pretty the podcast, solid, guys. He's like, a this total is champion. What an ally! <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, it's so funny. We took him to uh, Baja uh, in December, so he was three months old. Which everybody said this is the best time to travel. They just lay there; they can't roll over yet. Yeah. And um, it was—I mean, he didn't know where he was. But <laughs> we stayed for almost a month. We stayed like three and a half weeks, and it was fantastic. But it turns out when they start sleeping, I don't know, I'm sure some of you knew this, that they sleep for a long time, like 12 <laughs> hours. And so, I, just, I mean, I, think, I don't know that it has changed everything yet, but I think definitely a babysitter. Um, you know, he will travel a lot with us. We're going to go to L.A. In a, in a week or two and back to Baja. And so um, I don't know that, it, I, I don't know is the answer, but... Is instilling a sort of love of travel in him something that you feel is important? Absolutely. I mean, I think travel is also, it's about curiosity and being curious about the world. And I think the more you see different cultures and you see different places and you meet different people, the, uh, the broader your mind uh, is and, and can continue to be, it makes it a lot harder to be closed if you see different parts of the world and meet different people and... Plus, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, I can't imagine. What if he wanted to stay home all the time? It's like, That's his form of rebellion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Becomes a homebody. He's like, no, I'm going to go live in a biosphere for three years. Or <laughs> space station. For I'm curious, working in hotels, you know, you're talking about going on vacation for a month and, you know, the, it's lucky to be able to go back well, to I your hotel. Well, I say vacation, but, yes. you know, Well, okay. so I'm curious how you take vacation if... You that was in as the close, hospitality industry. You know, honestly, that was as close as I've come in a really long time. And we, we bought a beach house in, uh, near Todos Santos, where, uh, uh, in Baja, where our Hotel San Cristobal is. So we were really a mile down from the hotel. So I did end up working a lot. But inevitably, I uh, combined uh, work with pleasure travel. And it's nothing to bitch about, you guys. I have a great job. It's not... I'm, it's, but it is true that I'm, I am always working, so there's two sides to that coin. I mean, Aaron just wants to take a vacation where I am not. Like, we went to, on our honeymoon, we went to Hawaii, of all things. I'd never been to Hawaii. And we ended up driving up uh, the road to Hannah. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we got, to, you know, we had rented a Jeep or something, and we get up to the top, and I'm like, I'm like I have a meeting and it was with, there's a little hotel up there. And <laughs> I hadn't told her. And I'm like, I'll be back in about an hour or two. Or do you want to take the tour with me? And she just like, it's like, how did you find a work meeting? Like, on the long road in Maui. On our honeymoon. On our honeymoon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like, this is what you married. <laughs> you better know now. I'm curious if there are any women, you know, you mentioned the women who are running design firms, but if there are any other women in the hospitality industry you, are, you think are doing just really incredible things that you'd like to shout out? Yeah, I think there's, there are a lot of women doing I, Kelly Sodden at the Ace is one of my good friends, and I think she, she's about to have a baby. I think uh, she continues to do great work at the Ace. But um, there's a woman that we worked with when we were opening San Cristobal, and she's done something that I don't think anybody really has before. Her name is uh, Harsha Chandra, and she has a 
company called Sara Hospitality. And in, we worked with her when we were opening um, the hotel in San Cristobal. So there's a little hotel, 34 rooms in near Todos Santos, uh, which is at the very tip of Baja. You fly into Cabo, but it couldn't be dip more different than Cabo. It's about 45 minutes to an hour away from Cabo. And it's in a small community of about 2,000 people um, on the beach, about uh, two miles away from the local town there called Todos Santos. And we were getting ready to open the hotel, starting to talk about hiring. And we realized that the local population was not really trained in hospitality. If we wanted to hire people that knew hospitality, whether it be wait people or front desk people or just, I mean, the entire hotel staff, we needed to go to Cabo to get those folks. And it wasn't, that wasn't the kind of hospitality we really wanted to offer that was traditionally, that's traditionally been done in Cabo. And plus we didn't want, I mean, we had a local community there that we wanted to serve. So um, I met Harsha on uh, a cruise, the one and only I've ever been on. It was first summit. And she'd been to, uh, had gotten her master's at Cornell and then done her thesis on an idea of launching a company that's a nonprofit, which is now um, Sara Hospitality. And the idea was to empower local communities that were not traditionally trained, whether it be an underserved community or uh, whether it be uh, just basically a pool of people that wouldn't have the uh, experience in working in the hospitality industry. So she did a pop-up hospitality school. It lasted for about three months, maybe three, four months. Three days a week, four hours a day. She flew in a lot of, uh, I think there were probably 60 to 80 people that signed up from the town of Todos Santos. Um, and she flew people in to teach the basics of hospitality, whether it be about wine or about serving or about guest experience. Or uh, So she brought folks in to teach, and at the end of those three months, um, almost all of the people that signed up graduated from uh, her pop-up hospitality school. We hired, I think we hired 60 to 70% of them, most of them still with us today. Um, and another, you, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a requirement that you go to work for us. So s several of them went to work for uh, another restaurant in town that was just opening. And it's been one of the most powerful ways I've seen of combining a, a need to serve a community and uh, creating workforce. Uh, it's just a real super win-win um, for us and for the local community. Um, and I think it takes a woman to do that kind of uh, job. Before we hop into questions from our Facebook group, we have like one last trick question for you. Wait, a trick? <laughs> Um, which is, can you tell us anything about the bunkhouse properties that are opening in Austin, oh, New Orleans, and Atlanta? Sort of <laughs> no, a it's trick. not that much of a trick. <laughs> um, we're working on three places right now, New Orleans, which I'm super, super excited about. Uh, it's a place called the St. Vincent. It came with a name. It was an orphanage built in 1860 to 65 uh, during the Civil War. Um, during the time of a plague uh, in New Orleans. And it was run as an orphanage or as a home for unwed mothers until the 70s, and then it became a guest house. And it is a really beautiful place with probably a little haunted, but, you know. 
And it was uh, built by a woman named Margaret Howardy, who had, uh, I can just go on and on. Maybe you guys don't want me to. Please do. I mean, it's just an awesome story that we're going to go. I have a friend named Sam Roddick from London who is going deep, deep into the history of Margaret Howardy. And she had started, she started at like 15 as a laundress in, in a hotel. And then she ended up as one of the richest women in New Orleans. And it was, uh, just, there's a lot of history to it. So uh, we're, it, we're just kicking off uh, construction there. Uh, we're also doing a place in Atlanta that I'm super excited about. Um, it was the old in-town suites uh, at kind of Buckhead, Piedmont area. And uh, we're also doing a hotel here called the Magdalena that's off of South Congress n- near the St. Cecilia between that big hole in the ground that you see coming up on South Congress and the St. Cecilia. And it'll be a 95-room hotel. So as Meredith mentioned, we pulled our Facebook group for some questions for you um, and had a great response. And uh, first up was Lene Cook. And she was wondering how you approach talent and development and empowering your female employees to grow within the company. Well, as I have pointed out, (laughs) that's no problem. (laughs) I was going to say, sounds like you're doing a pretty good job. (laughs) Um, No, I think empowerment, uh, growth is a really interesting thing. But it's, I, my former assistant of many years, Isadora, uh, is now the head of creative at Seidel. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very sad day to lose her, but I'm so excited to see her going out into the world. And so, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I think it's just by being the company that we are, which is we always hope for growth in, in folks. I mean, we hire somebody at the front desk. The best front desk agents aren't necessarily going to be with you forever because they have more to bring to the job and they have different aspirations in their life. Um, and so if you can get somebody to do a great job and grow and learn in that job while they're there, ideally they will move on, right? So um, I think it's just that approach, probably. Having to let all your children leave home. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jessica Bond, who is in the Facebook group, but who also just went on our second Women Who Travel trip with Lale, um, asked... Uh, what does it take to knock your socks off when you travel and don't stay at your own hotel? Um, I'm just so happy not to be staying at my own hotel because <laughs> that's where I see everything wrong and I'm taking notes. I love room service. I what's, love... what's your go-to order? Well, so I, it could be anything, definitely coffee, but I, I think I can judge a hotel by a fruit plate because I think like it's such people like you know, all the melons on fruit plates, that's because the melons last a long time. You just put some lime on them. (laughs) But people that take care with a fruit plate, I'm like, it's both, you know, room service is one of the most, no hotel makes money at room service. It's a, you lose money when you, you, even though that bowl of cornflakes was $25 at Four Seasons, they're still losing money in room service. And it's just a really labor intensive um, and unpredictable part of a hotel. So when you really make a good fruit plate, you are acknowledging that it's an amenity and something that you're really putting some care into. I love that because room service has been a very controversial point at Traveller. Some people love it, some people hate it. I'm on the side of loving it, so now I'm just going to quote you and the fruit plate every time it comes up. You know what I hate? I hate hate the in-room coffee machines, and that's controversial. A lot of people like that. 
Do you, Do you know guys like in-room coffee? No, it's like it makes it smell like, and it's bad coffee, and you don't have cream, and yeah. You have to make it yourself. That's yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> See. I, um, and so another member of the group, um, I really want to get her name right, um, Aaron Witt, um, wants to know what advice you have for aspiring female hoteliers. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, I mean, work, work in a hotel, work in every part of a hotel you can, try to understand the business as best you can. Um, and... I, I think that's probably the best advice. I mean, you can go to hotel school, but I think it's really experience uh, that gets that that allows you to rise in the hotel business. I mean, I think there's some intuitive part. There's an intuitive um, part of working in a hotel that is about service and uh, an attention to detail and anticipation of needs. But there's so many different parts of a hotel. I mean, you have every, you know, we have an accounting department and we have an HR department and we have operations, we have housekeeping, we have maintenance. And so there's, there's so many different things you can do in a hotel. So it depends on what part of the business you want to be in. And so I, I think you can only know that by working in a lot of different parts of a hotel. Or quitting your job and... Not really thinking it through. <laughs> you know what's so funny is that I, not not thinking it through is when we first started, I didn't want to hire anybody with any hotel experience because I wanted to kind of remake it. And now I was just like, I'm like, what? You don't have any experience? <laughs> I mean, it, it is. But I, I think, again, that goes to the fact that I was really lucky to start at a really low risk. I mean, it was high risk to me at the time, but low risk proposition because it allowed me to experiment and to learn and to make a lot of mistakes. And I think that's one thing that you've got to be willing to make mistakes or you'll never figure things out. Well, I think that is probably where we will wrap up. Um, but if uh, anyone listening to this who's not here right now uh, wants to keep track of what you're up to, where can they follow you on the Internet? I'm, I'm not on Facebook, so I can't join your Facebook group. <laughs> I've never been on Facebook, and now I feel like that was smart. I mean, it took a while, but um, I'm on Instagram, at the Liz Lambert, and uh, that's basically where you can find me. You can also go to bunkhousehotels.com and, and see what we're up to in general, I think. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. I'm at Lale Hannah, and thank you so much to everyone for joining us here at Holy Roller Austin. We've had a wonderful time. Please stick around and have lots of the rum swizzles. The rum swizzles. There you go. Which I just love to say. Rum swizzle. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. Yeah, we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> 
On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mao. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.